As we stand, let's pray together. Our Father, we've been singing that you would lead us in your ways of righteousness. We now pray that you would do that through your word. We pray that we'd be better able to know not only your ways, but you, the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Please do sit. Well, as you make yourself comfortable, please do uh, take up your Bible and turn with me to uh, Psalm 77, page 589 in the Church Bibles, page 589, Psalm 77, as we uh, finish off this uh, short series looking at Psalms uh, in uh, the 70s, songs from the 70s, and uh, this week it's uh, When Will I See You Again? Remember that song? Some of you are too young, but um, a few of you remember it. Well, I remember it well. I'm not going to sing it, you'll be pleased to know. Psalm 77. Uh, We've uh, sung earlier in the service, Be still for the presence of the Lord, the Holy One is here. But um, there'll be some here for whom they really don't feel that at all. The presence of the Lord here just seems so ridiculous to them. Uh, Someone came to see me a few years ago and put it like this, I used to feel so close to God. In my university years I felt I could take on the world. I'd do anything for the Lord. Now, well, for years it seems that God is far away. Asaph, the writer of Psalm 77, felt exactly that same way. Did you notice it when it was read? Psalm 77 verse 1, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord at night. I stretched out untiring hands and my soul refused to be comforted. See, Asaph's soul is troubled because the Lord seems so far from him. And until he's got that sorted out, nothing will comfort him. Now, there are uh, many Christians who feel just like Asaph, in the spiritual doldrums. Christians who are real Christians, but who've lost the love and passion and verve and that dynamic dimension in their walk with the Lord. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones called it um, spiritual depression. Uh, He preached a series of sermons on it back in the 50s, I think, uh, and uh, after that uh, he uh, published this book, which really are those those sermons in print, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cure. Well, in Psalm 77, Asaph is suffering from spiritual depression. Uh, We've met Asaph over these last weeks. He was a leader of worship in the temple in Israel, And as we've seen, he was a real and refreshingly honest man when it came to his faith in God. See, if you met Asaph over coffee after church and asked him how he was, he wouldn't give you a glib, oh, fine, thanks. He'd tell you how he really felt. Look how desperate he is in verse 1. I cried out to God for help. In verse 2, in distress I sought the Lord. In verse 3, I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. Asaph is going through huge inner turmoil. He feels as if the Lord is a million miles away. His relationship with God is practically non-existent as he begins to write this psalm. And it is chewing him up. And there will be people like that here this morning who feel just like that. You faithfully come to church but you're certainly not full of the joys of the Lord. And you may have been feeling like this for weeks or months or, or even years. Far from the Lord. Oh, you're a Christian. But in terms of having a real, vibrant, dynamic relationship with Jesus, well, it's just hopeless. You're spiritually depressed. 
Now look, before we go any further in the psalm, it's worth us stopping here for a moment. There are a number of reasons for spiritual depression. A disobedience is a pretty obvious one. If we disobey the Lord, it will affect our relationship with him. In the same way that when I let Caroline down, I feel far from her, even when she's in the same room as me. Disobeying the Lord will affect our relationship with the Lord. And there's only one way to sort that out, and that's to start obeying him. Well, disobedience is one, but then being physically low is another. See, we mustn't isolate the physical from the spiritual. We are whole people, body, mind and spirit. And so if we're tired and stressed and ill, it will affect our relationship with the Lord, how we feel about him. So, young mum, you're tired out looking after the children and running the home. Uh, Older woman, uh, you're concerned for your teenage or grown-up children and at the same time you're looking after your ageing parents and you're split between the two. An older person, you're just coping, trying to cope every day with the aches and pains that you have now that you have hit that age of life. Christian man or woman, you're stressed at work. All that is sure to affect your spiritual life. If you're physically exhausted or stressed, of course you'll find it hard to pray. Physical and emotional things affect us spiritually. Well, there are other reasons. There are many reasons for spiritual depression. We have, uh, though, no idea why Asaph was spiritually depressed. The psalm doesn't tell us. But it does tell us how to get out of it. It tells us how to get through it. Allow me to be autobiographical for a moment. I, I remember well, shortly after I was ordained, going through a spiritual desert. Like Asaph, I felt that the Lord was a million miles away. Now that is tough for anyone at any time, but let me tell you, it's hard when you're doing this job. No matter how you feel, you still have to preach on Sunday. Can't turn up and say, well, I'm feeling a bit glum. Haven't had a good week. Just have to talk among yourselves during the sermon. (laughs) Well, it went on for some weeks, and one morning as I met to pray with the vicar, we read this psalm, Psalm 77. And as we read the first few verses, I thought, that is exactly how I feel. Asaph and I, you know, we're we're at one in this. That's exactly how I feel. And I went home and I spent the whole of the morning poring over these words, trying to understand what the psalm was all about. And as I did that, the Lord dragged me out of the spiritual pit. He gave me a lightness of spirit and a desire to serve him again with enthusiasm. Now, my guess is there'll be people like that here today. I often meet real Christians who trust the Lord and serve him, who are involved in the life of the church, but who are low and weary and no longer full of the joys of the Lord. Christians who long for times long ago when the Lord felt so real and so close. Well, look, if you're a million miles from the Lord this morning, this psalm is for you. And if you're not, well... Take good note of this psalm because um, this psalm will be for you in this future when you are spiritually depressed because it's so common. Some of the Christian greats in history have suffered terribly from it. Martin Luther, C.H. Spurgeon are just two notable examples. If you suffer from spiritual depression, you are in good company. You're certainly in the company of Asaph. See, in verse 1, Asaph is asking the Lord, when will I see you again? He wonders whether God is really hearing his prayers. He may not have seen answered prayer for ages, or if he's seen it, he hasn't recognised it. See it there, I cried out to God to hear me in verse 1. Very simply, when he prays, it feels as if his prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. Do you know that feeling? And can you identify with Asaph's inner turmoil? 
Verse 2, when I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands. He's losing sleep at night over this thing. You'll see it there in verse 4. You kept my eyes from closing. Now look, I reckon anybody who loses sleep over something, it must be pretty serious. I guess others in his household were pretty fed up with it too. He's sure to have woken up his wife with all his crying and arms stretching there in verses 1 and 2, tossing and turning in his bed at night. No doubt she tried to comfort him, made him a hot chocolate and put on his favourite CD. He was, after all, a very musical guy. Well, I, I don't know. Seriously, Asaph is a desperate man. He can't sleep and he, and he can't just pretend that everything's okay. Look at the end of verse 2. My soul refused to be comforted. No good in telling himself just to snap out of it. That won't work. And he can't bring himself to talk about it either. You see verse 4, second half, uh, I was too troubled to speak. That's uh, often how it is when you're spiritually low. At one level, you long to tell someone, but, but because you feel so lousy, you can't bring it up in conversation. Again, I remember it well. I used to be a part of a small prayer meeting. There were about 10 or 12 of us who'd meet to pray. And I always prayed at the prayer meeting. Always. But when I was spiritually depressed, I couldn't. I couldn't get the words out. It seemed so hypocritical. And at the end of the meeting, I longed for someone to come and ask me how I was doing spiritually. Ask me why I hadn't prayed that, that, that time. I longed for them to ask me so that I could talk to them. They didn't ask me and, you know, I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't bring it up in conversation. That's Asaph, verse 4. Too troubled to speak. I don't know why that is. Perhaps it's because we're so proud. We don't want to admit that we're not quite the spiritual giants that we want everyone else to think we are. More likely, it's because everyone else seems to be doing so well. We don't think anyone else will understand is you meet with other Christians and they say, how are you? And everyone says, oh, I'm fine, old tickety-boo, everything's well with me. Yeah, yeah, it's going well, thanks. It's hard when that happens, isn't it? Superficial conversations leave us feeling that everyone else is doing well. Of course, that's not true. We've all come this morning with our own struggles, greater or lesser. Everyone else is not just fine. This morning, after church, let's be real with each other. As people say, how are you doing? You say, it's actually not so well. Uh, I haven't been so good for a while, really. You'd be surprised how that would help someone else. Because <laughs> they suddenly realise, no, I'm not so well either, and that's okay. Well, maybe ask people afterwards, how are you doing spiritually? Ask them if Psalm 77 connects with them. Ask them if they've ever been spiritually depressed. We do each other no favours when we give the impression that it's all well. Well, maybe that's why Asaph couldn't speak. Well, look, here's his situation. He's losing sleep over this thing. He's unable to speak about his situation. And what makes it worse is he's remembering how it used to be with the Lord. Remembering the times when he was on fire for God. Look at verse 5. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. Yeah, Asaph can well remember the times when he was so excited about the Lord he could barely get to sleep at night. The days when even the nights seemed to be full of praising the Lord. How different to now. Now he can't sleep because he's so troubled. Crucially note that, that looking back to his, his own experience of God does him no good whatsoever. That's very important to remember. 
See, verse 6, I remember my songs in the night, my heart mused and my spirit inquired. He doesn't do him any good remembering that. Remembering back to how exciting his relationship with the Lord was just made him feel worse now. See, as one wag said, nostalgia is never as good as it used to be. Remembering back to his university years when he felt he could take on the world, that just makes him feel worse about his present situation. Remembering when, when prayer times were so real that you, you had your eyes closed and you were so frightened to open your eyes because you felt that, that God was just there in the room with you. Remembering that does you no good when you, when you can barely string a sentence of prayer together, does it? Remembering the times when an hour would whiz by in prayer. Remembering those times does me no good when I'm in the spiritual doldrums. It just compounds my problem, makes me realise how far I am from the Lord now. Remembering those times when life was good with the Lord made Asaph groan. That's his word in verse 3. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused and my spirit grew faint. Not lift his spirit, it's quite the opposite. You see, Asaph feels as if he's on the spiritual scrap heap. Verse 7. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favour again? He feels rejected by the Lord. And he doesn't really believe the Lord loves him anymore. Verse 8. Has his unfailing love vanished forever? That is a remarkable statement, a remarkable question. Has his unfailing love vanished forever? (laughs) Unfailing love can't fail, it can't vanish it is unfailing verse 8 is a ridiculous statement and yet it's very real because spiritual depression does that, it stops us thinking clearly when we're in the spiritual doldrums we we can't think straight theologically we may even begin to think as Asaph did that God's character has changed, verse 9, has God forgotten to be merciful, has he in anger withheld his compassion See, the mercy and compassion of the living God are fundamental to him being who he is. Remember how the Lord revealed himself to Moses when uh, Moses was up the mountain, passing in front of Moses. Do you remember? Exodus 34, the Lord said this of himself as he revealed his character. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. That is who he is. Verse 9, has he forgotten to be merciful? Well, the day he does that, he ceases to be God. And you see how muddled his thinking has become. But I'm not knocking him for that. That's what happens when we are spiritually depressed. We stop thinking right thoughts about the Lord. And we think he's out to get us. Somebody said to me uh, uh, a couple of years ago, they said, um, you know, life's going really well for us at the moment. I'm just just waiting for things to go wrong. <laughs> Do you ever feel like that? As if, as if God's, uh, yeah, as if he's sort of some celestial killjoy. Oh yeah, everything's going well, but I'm going to get you. That's how we think about the Lord sometimes, isn't it? Particularly if we're spiritually low. We forget that he's a loving father who wants the best for us. He's not out to get us. When things are going well, rejoice. Isn't that wonderful? Asaph's forgotten that. Verses 7 to 9 show the depth of Asaph's depression. But uh, just look on a few verses and you see a remarkable transformation. Verse 13. 
Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You're the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. You can hardly believe it when you read verses 13 to 15 that this is the same man who's been writing for the first nine verses. Just four verses later, and Asaph's no longer doubting the unchanging characteristics of the Lord. Just four verses later, and he's declaring, verse 13, what God is so great as our God. He certainly doesn't see God as a distant God any, any longer. Look at verse 14. You are the God who performs miracle. You display your power among the peoples. You're present. You're not distant. And whereas a few, years, a few verses ago he, he doubted that God was merciful and compassionate, here in verse 15 he confidently says, with your mighty arm you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Oh, God is a redeeming God. There's his compassion and mercy. And who does he redeem? The people of Jacob. Jacob was such a slippery eel, a swindler, a trickster, a scoundrel, yet God loved him. Such compassion and mercy. See, in verses 13 to 15, Asaph is a changed man. So here's the question. What has transformed this sad, spiritually depressed man into a rejoicing believer? Well, the answer's in verses 10 to 12. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, often there's a turning point in a psalm. And in this psalm, it's in verses 10 to 12. Verse 10, Then I thought... To this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. You see, Asaph remembered in verses 10 to 12 the deeds of the Lord. The key to coming through spiritual depression is in the remembering. And it is very, very important to get hold of this because earlier in the psalm, His remembering made him feel worse. Do you remember verse 3? I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. Verse 6, I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused. Earlier in the psalm, he remembered his own past experience of God and that made him feel worse, making him realise how far he was from the Lord. The difference with the psalmist remembering in verses 10 to 12 is that he no longer remembered his own past experience of God but rather he began to remember the redemptive acts of God. And I deliberately use that phrase, the redemptive acts of God. I use the phrase because he uses the word redeem in verse 15, but also if we get hold of that phrase, the redemptive acts of God, we'll know what it means for us. For the psalmist, that meant remembering how the Lord had brought his people out of captivity in Egypt, leading three million Jews out of Egypt to safety. That awesome event when the the, the Lord parted the Red Sea. When all the forces of nature obeyed the living God. That's the event, you see, described in verses 16 to 20. Did you notice it when it was read, verse 16? The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. He's talking about coming through the Red Sea. The the clouds poured down water, the skies resounded with thunder, your arrows flashed back and forth, your thunder was heard in the whirlwind, your lightning lit up the world, the earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. 
Asaph remembered the great redemptive act of the Old Testament. At that time when when the children of Israel were brought out of captivity from Egypt. Asaph wasn't there. It had happened years before he was born. But as he remembered that act, he knew there's the tangible demonstration of God's love for his people. It didn't matter how he felt about God. As he thought back to that event, he had all the evidence he needed. The Lord does love his people. The Lord does keep his promises. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is compassionate. I know that because I can look back to an event that is certain that happened. What does all this mean for us? Well, we don't look back to the redemptive act of Moses. We can do, but no, we look back to a bigger redemptive act, that the event that Moses and the Red Sea was pointing towards, the redemptive redemptive act of Jesus delivering his people from slavery to sin as he died on the cross. See, as I look at the cross, I know that God loves me, no matter how I feel. As I look at the cross, I know that he is merciful to me, no matter how I feel. As I look at the cross, I know that he is a compassionate God, no matter how I feel today. Now keep your finger in Psalm 77, because we are going to pop back, but just um, come with me to the second of the two readings that Alan read for us. Uh, Romans chapter 5, page 1132. And let's see how we can be absolutely sure that God loves us today, regardless of how we feel. Page 1132, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. It's a great verse. It was a verse that I learned um, in the navigator system of learning verses. Did any of you do that? If you did, you'll know Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Does that show you that he loves you? And then look at verse 10. If when we were God's enemies, when we were sinners, if when we were God's enemies, when we used to kick sand in his face and ignore him and do our own thing, if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now that I'm his friend. And then in verse 11... Not only this, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. If when I was his enemy, Jesus died for me, his death made me his friend. If he died for me when I was his enemy, now that I'm his friend, I can be sure he'll save me, but more than that, that he's with me, that I am reconciled to him, verse 11. See, no matter how I feel, as I look back to the cross, I know that I'm loved and I'm right with God. And even if I feel as if he's a million miles away, he's not. He's not. Because he's my friend. I'm reconciled. He loves me. Isn't that wonderful? Well, flip back to Psalm 77 as we close. I think the key word for us in the psalm is there in verse 12. See it there? Psalm 77 verse 12. I will meditate on all your works. I will meditate on all your works. You can read up a lot of Christian books today and there's an awful lot of nonsense written about 
meditation in the church and lots of spoken things that are, are really not helpful at all. Biblical meditation is done in the word of God. Uh, if you look at the beginning of the book of Psalms, remember Psalm 1, where it describes the blessed man, the blessed man meditates on the law of the Lord. Do you remember that? That meditates on the law of the Lord day and night, actually, in Psalm 1. So the Psalms has told us what it means to meditate. It is to meditate on, on the Bible, on the law of the Lord. It's cogitating on the word of God. So, Psalm 77, if you're spiritually depressed, open the Bible and, and meditate on the cross. Uh, read the account of the Garden of Gethsemane. Hear how much Jesus loves you there as he said, uh, take this cup from me, yet not my will be done but yours. He so did not want to go through that agony, but he, he went through it because he loves you. Uh, read him say on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And remember then that he was God forsaken so that you and I don't have to be. Remember that he loves you. He wouldn't have done it if he didn't. Turn that over in your mind. That's what I did uh, when I first came to understand Psalm 77. And I can still remember reading the psalm with my vicar and thinking, this is for me, and then going home and spending all morning considering it, opening the Bible, reading it, remembering the truths of the cross. And by the end of the morning I was transformed. And verse 12, the key, the key word is meditate. Not just five minutes in the Bible and then rushing on to something else. Meditating on the word of God. See, I wonder if there are many in the spiritual doldrums these days because our Bible reading is so hasty and we give so little time to it. We spend 30 minutes watching the news, an hour reading the newspaper and five minutes reading the Bible before we go off to work in the morning. If you're spiritually low, meditate on the law of the Lord and then teach yourself. You see, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, in this book, Spiritual Depression, says we must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. We must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. Now, I wonder if you can get hold of what he's saying. It's very good. If I listen to myself, I'll be all over the place spiritually. Uh, through the whole of my spiritual life, I'll do stupid things. I'll, I'll think unhelpful thoughts. But if I speak to myself, if I tell myself the truth of the Bible, I'll be in very good shape. See, that's what transformed Asaph. He stopped listening to himself and he started talking to himself. Now listen to how John Chapman does it. John Chapman in this book, A Fresh Start, says this. I love this. From time to time I wake up and feel as if I can't be bothered being a Christian anymore. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to pray. And I'm sick of trying to be kind to people. He says, I, I feel like chucking it all in. What stops me? I sit on the side of my bed and ask myself the following questions. Did you receive some new historical information which shows you that Jesus didn't rise again from the dead? Answer, no. Did Jesus go back to heaven? Yes. Is he coming back again? Yes. Well, John Chapman, it doesn't seem as if you have much room for manoeuvring. Get up and get on with it. He says, I found it very sustaining. See, he lear he's learned to talk to himself rather than listen to himself. That's what the psalm is telling us to do. 
Think about the amazing love that God has for you by meditating on the word of God and then talk to yourself. I used to feel so close to God. In my university years I felt I could take on the world. I'd do anything for the Lord. Now it seems that God is far away. If you relate to that, if you relate to Psalm 77, meditate on the word of God, on the cross of Christ and start talking to yourself. Let's pray together. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word being relevant, uh, scratching where we itch, engaging us uh, in real life. We thank you for Asaph, uh, this uh, psalmist that over these last few weeks we've come to love. And we thank you very much for speaking to us so directly, especially those here today for whom it seems that you're far away from them. Reassure them today through your word. Help them as they meditate on your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Drag them out of the pit and give them a lightness of spirit and a joy in serving you again. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.